Hello there, and welcome to the Audio Epics podcast for the premiere of the 12th and final episode of The Treasure of Boneyard Bay. It's an extra long episode again, about two hours actually, and this episode will bring you six more chapters. The Beast, The Confrontation, The Pirate, The Return, The Ordination, and The Trinket. Brace yourselves for yet another exciting episode, and don't forget to like our video or podcast on other platforms and write comments. When you've finished the story, we'd really appreciate your reviews on Amazon and Goodreads. And you can talk about your experiences listening to it on our Discord server. Please also consider becoming a patron and support us financially and mentally for as little as $1 a month. It will help us create more stories for you to enjoy at a better quality and there are lots of interesting tiers to pick from, most including exclusive merchandise. Don't forget to subscribe and ring the notification bell to get an alert whenever there's a new upload. I'm not going to lie to you, watching the amount of people discovering our stories grow, that's a great encouragement for us to make more. If you've finished the story and you want to listen to it again, without introductions and outroductions, and maybe with almost an hour of extra scenes, including a rather shocking epilogue at the end, you can purchase the extended edition on Bandcamp. And since you, loyal fan, are not skipping the introduction, we're going to give you a 15% discount with the discount code YouTubeFINAL. Let me repeat that. You get a discount of 15% with the code YouTubeFINAL on AudioEpics. .bandcamp.com for the Treasure of Boneyard Bay Extended Edition. So now, grab your jerky and your bottle of rum, and perhaps an extra empty bottle for your toilet breaks, because you wouldn't want to miss a second of the twelfth and last episode of the Treasure of Boneyard Bay. The Beast. The sun was slowly beginning its descent into the west behind Ludlow's back, as he, Tormgard and Gustav found themselves in a rowboat once more, heading for the beach. This time it was a quiet member of the witch hunter militia who was doing the rowing. Blessed Zelenheim and Captain Brokelhoff were safe on board the Vermilion Viper. They had done their part, and could finally rest and recover. They were under the protection of Detlef Ziege, captain of the Witch Hunter Militia, and his personal retinue. Ziege was an impressive warrior, Ludlow knew. The chest itself had been stored deep in the bowels of the ship. Ludlow thought back on the strange turn of events of the past few hours. He still had no idea why the Witch Hunter Order had come to Boneyard Bay in full force, but it had felt like a miracle at the time. Afterwards, seeing the chest being carried aboard the Viper had given him a great sense of relief and finality to their quest. He knew the mission was now in the capable hands of his superiors. It seemed almost impossible, but in truth, his part in this whole ordeal was also coming to an end. As soon as that realization hit him, he was overwhelmed by a sudden wave of weariness. 
Still, he had one more task ahead. Ludlove emerged out of the boat and overlooked the beach. All of the pirates were gone, having either fled or been killed. The witch hunters were now leading troops of militia into the cave, where they would make short work of the remaining tunnel slices. Once the place had been cleared, Tomgard, Ludlove and Gustav would lead Adomir and the rest to the black chest and the rest of the treasure. Afterwards, the long, slow work of removing the vast hoard of gold and jewels could begin. Ludlove had offered to help with that as well, but Lord Adomir had assured him that he had earned some rest. The witch hunter lord had also ordered his men to arm Ludlove and Tormgard with new weaponry. Having a freshly sharpened rapier by his side again made Ludlove feel emboldened after all that had happened. He also had a dagger tucked in his belt, and he had kept Federhel's pistol as well, once more ready to shoot with fresh gunpowder. Tormgard's wounds had been treated and bandaged as well. The stodgy witch hunter was actually still remarkably vigorous, considering everything he had gone through. Despite his substantial aid, Adomir had not asked about the journey, nor had he told them anything from his own perspective. Ludlove had assumed the man's focus would be on the task at hand, and accepted that. Without monsters on his heels and enemies ahead, the beach seemed much wider to Ludlove now, as they marched towards the cave. It was almost as if they were crossing a small desert. At last they held still before the gaping mouth of Skullcrest Cave. It looked like the gateway to some ancient fortress, painted red in the warm golden hues of the light that shone directly upon the rock. As he looked up, Ludlove saw something flash above the cave, lighting up like a shooting star before it came down. He took a step back when he saw it was a sword, which landed with a chack in the sand, right in front of the entrance to the cave. The sword stood upright, a black ribbon tied to its handle, with skull and crossbones fluttering in the breeze like a miniature flag. So you sent your big witch hunter daddy a message to come and pick you up, said a familiar voice from above. Ludlov couldn't see him clearly, but he knew right away that it was Cottignac. I thought I'd pay my pirate daddy a visit as well, since he happened to be on this peninsula anyway, Cottignac continued, as more and more figures appeared on the hood of the cave. Ludlov and the others looked around. An army of pirates approached from both left and right, streaming towards the cave like ants to a piece of dessert that had been left behind after a picnic. A few were riding on the backs of wolf-like creatures, almost as large as horses. The thick fur of the animals was reddish-brown, and on their heads they sported long horns, pointed forward like those of a bull. Apparently, Gorehounds did indeed exist, and the pirate lord's men did ride them. Looking behind him, Ludlov saw dozens of militiamen, led by a small group of witch hunters. They were hastening across the beach to meet the enemy. Several rowboats full of reinforcements were making their way across the waves as well. 
it didn't look like there would be nearly enough to withstand these pirates. Into the cave, Adomir told one of the witch hunters who had joined them. Tell them to come out and meet us. The man dashed forward, but stopped dead in his tracks as a truly colossal shape appeared on top of the cave. It was a monster, covered in matted grey fur, as tall as a house. Its head reminded Ludlow of an enormous rat, with yellow rodent teeth the size of spears, one of which was curled to the side. As it stood up on its powerful hind legs, it spread out its arms, long and muscular like those of an ape, with massive three-fingered talons that looked like they could effortlessly pull the head off a bear. Its wrists were manacled and heavy chains ran from them towards the creature's hunched shoulders, where its rider was seated. He was a striking figure, weathered and tan, with deep, dark eyes under bushy eyebrows. His hair was long and black, his forked beard equally impressive. He wore a deep blue coat with shining copper buttons and gold tassels on his shoulder pads. As he raised up a gold saber, the enormous maw of his steed opened, revealing more jagged oversized teeth and a long curling tongue, dripping with saliva. Then, a thunderous roar emerged. Powerful enough to shift the sand beneath Ludlov's feet. Once the witch hunter who had been sent out by Adomir had recovered from the shock, he tumbled ahead into the cave again, losing his hat along the way. Stone crumbled as the enormous creature jumped from the top of the cave and thundered down onto the beach, blocking the way into Skullcrest Cave. The giant monster was right in front of Adomir, Ludlov, Gustav and Tomga. From up close, Ludlov saw that its eyes had been sewn shut and its snout was covered with scars from years of mistreatment. The Pirate Lord, I presume, Adomir said as he looked the rider in his one functioning eye, since the other was entirely failed by a milky white cataract. Please, senor, no one calls me that, the rider retorted. They know me as El Padre, and this mighty beast here is the Rodocia Yania. It comes from the Grand Forest, south of Parslavena, Gustav said. From what Ludlov had heard, that place was known as a border between the world of men and the Dragonlands. It was a seemingly endless forest where the strange and impossible monsters of nightmares lived, breathed, and ate. I've heard of this beast, Gustav tried to whisper, failing to keep his voice low so everyone could hear him. It has supernatural powers. Wherever they bring it, they win the fight. It's over. Thank you for that little motivational speech, Gustav, Tomgard said. For the second time that day, Ludlov found himself trapped on the beach, surrounded by a host of pirates. Unlike the first time, though, he was suddenly truly overwhelmed by despair. The mere sight of the Rotochea summoned images of defeat and torture in his mind. 
Captain Cotignac and the selection of his men had descended from the hood of the cave and come down to glut. The enormous beast shifted its hind legs in the sand, sniffing the air nervously, but was still held in check by its rider. Behind Ludlov, the men from Seven Peaks stood ready for battle. Even though they were clearly outnumbered, Ludlov knew every last one of them would lay down his life for his fellow men, if it should come to that. Well then, what will you do now? Kotinyak asked. Adomir stepped forwards and pulled the sword from the sand. I believe this belongs to you, he said, throwing the blade to Kotinyak, who caught it by the handle. And now I think our transaction is complete, Adomir concluded. You have nothing we want. Feel free to leave. El Padre grinned. I'm afraid you have something we want. Forget the treasure, Tomgard said. It's safe aboard the ship. You can't get to it. Cotignac shrugged. Looks like we'll have to commandeer some of your rowing boats then. Besides, <laughs> I think El Padre will want his ship back. My loyal friend makes a good point, said the Pirate Lord. We don't really need to keep any of you alive to get what we want, and we feel quite confident that we will win this fight. So unless you can come up with another bargaining chip, I think we can move on straight to the killing. There's a much bigger treasure inside the cave! More vast than you can imagine! Gustav blurted out. If you let us live, we can show you the way! <laughs> I think you already did. Since you came out with one chest, the road must be clear towards the rest of it. Should you already have any companions inside, my army will eagerly take care of those. Anything else before we slaughter you all? There was a tense silence which couldn't have lasted long, but to Ludlov, it felt like an eternity. I only have one thing to say, Lord Adomir said, as he threw back his cloak and drew his resplendent rapier. His eyes lit up like coals in a forge when he met El Padre's gaze. Death to the enemies of Seven Peaks. And with those words, all hell broke loose. Blades were drawn, pistols were fired, and the giant beast charged. Adomir rolled out of the way of the monster's trajectory. The lumbering colossus simply continued its rush in the direction of the militia who had gathered on the beach. With a single swipe of its arm, it swept away men like a cow would swat flies with its tail. Meanwhile, witch hunters and militia from Seven Peaks came pouring out of the cave, attacking Kotignac's men. Ludlov, Tomgard and Gustav found themselves in the middle of the violence. Several pirates attacked them at once, seeing their chance to kill the treasure hunters now before they could reunite with the main witch hunter force. Ludlov drew his rapier as fast as he could, just in time to parry the blow of a tall, gaunt pirate with long, greasy hair who was wielding a scimitar. Ludlov kicked him in the gut, sending him falling back, drawing his dagger simultaneously, astonished at his newfound energy. The pirate recovered quickly and attacked again, but Ludlov could tell his approach was one of brute force, not tactics. 
he ducked below the swing of the blade, then shot up like a snake, sticking his dagger below the man's ribs. Blood spurted out as he removed it again, but Ludlow ignored it, hoisting the dying man over his shoulders and dropping him to face the next attacker. All around him, there were the noises of pistols being fired, clashing blades, screams of death and victory, and the terrifying roars of the gorehounds as they charged into their enemies. The smell of gunpowder mingled with the stench of sweat and blood. Ludlow found himself chopping off hands, slicing throats and barely escaping his own death time and again. Crimson blood shone in the golden light of the sun as evening set in, and men died on the beach of Skullcrest Cave. When he was free from attackers for a moment, Ludlow searched for his friends. Tormgard was fighting near the entrance of the cave. Gustav was running in the direction of the sea, jumping and dodging to avoid all weapons as he did so. Blisters! Blisters! He kept on screaming. Ludlow saw him trip and fall under the weight of his backpack, surrounded by fighting men who paid him no heed, for now. As he lay face down on the beach with his arms and legs spread out and his giant backpack on top of him, he really looked like a sea turtle. Instinct told Ludlow to run towards his friend and help him out before anyone could hurt him. Along the way, he sheathed his dagger and picked up a second rapier from a dead witch hunter in the sand, using both swords to slice clear a path as he moved like a ghost through the orgy of death, avoiding the chaos of swinging blades and falling men, at one time dodging an ill-timed attack from a friendly militiaman. He arrived halfway across the beach where Gustav lay and rolled him over. The shopkeeper was covered with sand that stuck to his face and body with sweat, but he was unhurt. Running isn't always an option, Gustav, Ludlow said, offering him his secondary rapier. Is your pistol loaded? The Flatlander asked. Yes, but I only have one shot. Before Ludlow could react, Gustav had pulled the pistol from underneath Ludlow's belt, pointed it and shot. Ludlow rolled out of the way of the deafening blast. Only then did he become aware of the huge gorehound that had been charging straight at him from behind. Blood exploded from between its horns as Gustav's bullet found its mark and the creature fell dead, its rider tumbling overhead, almost falling on top of Ludlow. A nearby militiaman from Seven Peaks saw the unseated rider and finished him off with his sword. In a split second of eye contact, Ludlow nodded his thanks to the soldier and then got up. Good shot, Gustav. The shopkeeper smiled, then barreled away again with Ludlow's pistol, half hiding under the bulk of his backpack as he desperately attempted to reach the seashore. Ludlow doubted it was much safer there, though. A flock of seagulls was flying nearby, looking carefree and indifferent to the battle. One of them dove down to pick up something it probably interpreted as food. Gustav shrieked as the bird's beak almost touched his nose. Ludlow readied his rapier. A pirate was creeping up on Gustav as he was distracted by the gull, ready to decapitate him. In fear, Gustav jumped back from the seagull, screaming, accidentally bumping into the devious pirate, who fell over and got his shoulder pierced by one of his mates, who had been locked in single combat with a soldier behind him. Gustav avoided the sharp tip of another pirate's blade when he lost balance and clumsily tumbled over. Ludlow got there just in time to pierce Gustav's assailant on his rapier like a piece of meat on a stick by the campfire. He sighed loudly as he saw the pirate drop down on top of the one who had accidentally got killed by Gustav, soiling the sand with even more blood. 
Meanwhile, Gustav was managing to crawl back up with effort, ignoring the dead pirates but keeping a watchful eye at the sky. About a stone's throw away, amidst the melee, Ludlov could see Adomir. His black cloak spread out behind him like the wings of a giant raven as he cut through his opponents. Even when three pirates attacked him at once, they were no match for the witch hunter lord. Despite his age, both his strength and his skill with the blade were astonishing. He disarmed one man, beheaded another, and struck down the third from behind as he tried to run away in fear. In the distance, half hidden behind a sea of combatants and the smoke of their weapons, El Padre's monstrosity lumbered aimlessly, pulling men into the air and tearing them apart, sometimes feasting on their severed limbs, other times just throwing them away into the fray. Wherever it went, everyone seemed to freeze in terror. Only the pistoliers and crossbowmen were even able to hit it, but their weapons had little impact on the giant monster. Ludlov refocused on his immediate surroundings as another attack came. It was Derek, sprinting straight towards him. The pirate bard was small and thin, but he fought like a maniac. Armed with a dagger in each hand, he struck out and grazed Ludlov's side. Grunting in pain, Ludlov grabbed Derek's other hand before he could stick his second dagger in his chest. Kicking him back with a raised boot, Ludlov sliced the blade of his rapier across the bard's torso, drawing blood. Instinctively, Derek hunched over in pain, but he immediately veered up again, reacting too swiftly and carelessly in his anger, which gave Ludlov the opportunity to step aside, let his attacker pass him by, turn and bury his blade deep into his ribs. Derek died instantly. As he slid his bloodied rapier out of the corpse, Ludlov saw that some distance away, Gustav had managed to find himself engaged in close combat with Captain Kotignac himself, who approached with a cutlass in hand and a menacing, almost hungry glare in his eyes. Gustav was defending himself by throwing Ludlov's pistol into the captain's face, which surprisingly did help to slow down his opponent's approach, but before Ludlov could intervene, Kotignac had already jumped forward and slashed at the Flatlander's chest, slicing open a strap of his backpack, which came loose and wheeled to the side, causing the Flatlander to lose his balance and tumble down once more as he receded from his attacker. Ludlov bolted onwards, but had to stop when he saw that the Rotorchayania was approaching. Even El Padre seemed to have lost control of the creature's mad wandering, holding onto the chains for dear life as the monster crashed through the battle, slavering and flailing its huge arms, flinging blood and guts around. Ludlov wanted to flee from the horrid thing's pathway, but found himself frozen in place, wondering all of a sudden why he was even trying to stay alive. As the abomination thundered towards him, there came the deafening blast of a cannon from the direction of the viper. A cannonball burst into the monster's path, sand exploding in front of it. Ludov instinctively jumped out of the way. The shot had missed, but it had stopped the beast, which turned in another direction to continue its rampage. Ludlov snapped out of the strangely apathetic misery that had befallen him and tried to make his way back to Gustav, dodging the blades and bullets of friend and foe alike. What's inside that thing? <laughs> Kotignac exclaimed as Ludlov arrived. He slashed again, not at Gustav this time, but straight at his luggage. The fabric caught, spilling bottles, books, an old bag that had something wrapped in it, small boxes and cutlery. Such junk! Why carry all that around? The pirate captain grinned. When Ludlov thrust his rapier towards Kotignac, 
the fiend absent-mindedly blocked the attack with surprising force. In his effort to evade Kotinyak's slashing blade, Ludlov stumbled down onto the sand. All the while, the pirate captain had been keeping his eye on Gustav. The Flatlander raised up his arms in fear as Kotinyak prepared for another blow. Ludlov was still getting up, so there was no way to attack the villainous cad in time. He could only call out Gustav's name, which did nothing to distract Kotinyak from his sadistic pleasure. The buccaneer slashed again, across Gustav's arm now. The shopkeeper screamed in pain as blood streamed over his clothes. Ludlov awkwardly jumped and crawled over a pile of dead bodies to make his way to his friend. Time to die, backpack man, Kotinyak said. But before he could deliver the final blow, he was hit in the shoulder with a bullet and stumbled back. Ludlov looked for the originator of the shot and saw Captain Brokelhoff appearing from between the carnage. Captain! You've returned! Gustav cried out. Wonderful timing, too! Kotinyak's bloodied sword arm hung limply beside his body, but he bit down the pain, took his blade in his other hand, and went straight past Gustav to fight Brokelhoff, his eyes burning with hatred. The Lion Crester remained unimpressed, easily parrying Kotinyak's attack. The duel continued, blades clashing at a frantic pace until suddenly Brokelhoff managed to hit Kotinyak's one remaining strong hand with his sword. The pirate screamed, but still didn't drop his weapon. Nevertheless, Brokelhoff saw an opening, stepped in and punched Kotinyak in the nose, breaking it. The freebooter stared at his opponent in fear and disbelief, blood streaming from both nostrils. Brokelhoff switched his sword to his other hand and slashed through his enemy's throat in a graceful swing, tracing an arc of bright blood in the air. Without so much as a gasp or a gurgle, the dead pirate collapsed onto the beach. This is for you, Teresia, the captain said. Meanwhile, Ludlov had offered to help Gustav up once more, but the shopkeeper was rummaging through his fallen possessions. My backpack! My things! Ludlov looked up and saw that the crazed Rotocha was heading in their direction again. Let go, Gustav! Now! The Flatlander was still trying to pick up his books and trinkets when the monster came bursting through ranks of defenseless men. It opened its maw impossibly wide as it screeched, <laughs> revealing splintered bones and torn bits of clothing from previous victims stuck between its teeth the foam and drool dropping from its massive jaws red with blood. Ludlow felt that terrible wave of gloom and despair washing over him again. But through a great effort of will, he fought it and tried to jump out of the way of the storming brute. Its head jerked towards him. The enormous mouth snapped down, barely missing him as he dodged. Just then, Gustav flung a broken bottle straight into one of the thing's sewn-shut eyes. Dark red blood burst out of the side of the Rotocha's head and it became even more enraged, shaking so wildly that the pirate lord on top lost his grip and was thrown from the creature's back, disappearing between a huddle of pirates who dragged him away to safety. Then, Lord Adomir arrived on the scene. I do not fear you, spawn of Lucus, the witch hunter lord called out to the beast. Ludlov's mentor sprinted between the monster's legs, slashing at its calf muscles, his cloak following him like a shadow. Then he grabbed hold of a tuft of the thing's coarse fur while it was howling in agony. 
Adomir stuck a single rapier into the Rotacha's side, buried it deep and left it there, using it as footing as he began to climb onto the monster's back. Ludlov had never seen such bravery or skill, but even that wasn't enough, as the insane beast clawed at the witch hunter lord, grasped him and threw him away like an angry child would fling a doll. Adomir disappeared behind a pile of corpses, possibly to join them in eternity, as the monster turned its attention to Ludlov once more. With the leather thread cut open by Gustav's bottle, the Rotocha's bloodied eye opened slightly, glistening red in the evening sky. It rolled its head and focused its gaze, probably for the first time in many years. Captain Brokelhoff stood frozen in place, a look of abject horror on his face. Gustav squeezed his eyes shut, but Ludlov couldn't help but look into the monster's crimson gaze. As he did so, he felt like he was falling into a deep abyss, his blood freezing in his veins, his heart shriveling and crumbling to dust, his mind throttled by a black cloud of unnutterable despair. The monster came at him. The Confrontation cried a voice in the distance. It was far away, so far from the endless abyss into which Ludlov's mind was falling as he looked at that one terrible eye. Then he felt he had unwittingly been holding something tucked in his pocket. It was the figurine of the maiden. Without thinking, he pulled it out and held it out in front of him. As he did so, Ludlov felt like he was being pulled ashore after falling into an icy lake. The insane despair streamed away, and he became aware again of his real situation. Death itself was barreling down towards him, but he did not have to die. When its horrible gaze met the bronze figurine, the thundering colossus suddenly stopped dead in its tracks and turned away from Ludlov as if it had come upon an invisible wall that had sprung out of the ground in an instant. Someone pushed Ludlov to the ground, nailing him there as the infernal leviathan thundered past, still lost in its mindless thirst for death and destruction. The man who had pushed him was Detlef Ziege. You've been incredibly lucky there, Anisiot. I'm sorry, was all Ludlov could say as he crawled upright but he knew it had not been luck. This thing can't be fought, Ziegir said, and the despair in his face was entirely natural. It stops men from doing anything at all. Lord Adomir was able to withstand its powers, but he's nowhere to be seen, possibly killed, said another soldier near Detlef. You can attack it from a distance, Captain Brokelhoff said, with pistols and crossbows. We've been trying that, Captain. Such weapons barely slowed it down. Ziger watched in horror as the maddened Rotocha Yania tore through everything and everyone on the beach, even the pirates and the gorehounds. The creature spreads despair, Ludlov said. That's its power. What we need is a rekindling of hope. Detlef scoffed sourly at that <laughs> remark. Look around, initiate. Hope is long gone. 
Ludlow clasped the figurine in his hand and kissed it. Perhaps this had only been a single act of grace from the goddess, but he knew she had acted in his defense, and it was her likeness that had repelled the beast. Ah, rats! Gustav cried out. What was I doing, throwing a bottle at that thing? I should have used this instead. Rudlov turned and saw the Flatlander on his knees, pulling a tiny crossbow from the heap of rubbish that had spilled out of his backpack. What's that? Rudlov asked. It was all the way at the bottom of my backpack and I'd forgotten about it the whole journey. What a pity. We could have used it. Yes, but what is it? Oh, can't you see? It's a miniature crossbow. It's tiny, quiet, very stealthy, and excellent for firing poisonous darts. Look, I have those as well. <laughs> Do you want it? I'll take it, Rudlov said, accepting the weapon along with a pouch full of small, sharp projectiles. These are poisoned, he said, as he attached the pouch to his belt. They most certainly are. In fact, they kill a man before he knows he's been shot wherever you hit him, so be careful if you decide to use them, Ludlov. Thank you, Gustav. Perhaps I can try to use it against that thing. You can try, Gustav conceded with a shrug, but he sounded far from convinced it would actually work. Ludlov surveyed the beach. It seemed like there were more dead and wounded than live combatants at this point. Looking towards the sea, he saw that the entire shoreline was red with blood, and there were mangled corpses everywhere. The gentle, salty scent of the ocean, which he had come to appreciate so much over the past few months, was now tainted with the smells of blood, gunpowder, and burned flesh. So many had died for a treasure they would never see. The sun was on the horizon now, bringing the day to a close. But on the beach, it felt like the end of the world. Then, there was a roar from the sea, as if the water itself was about to take a side in the battle. Gustav slowly stood up, watching along with Ludlov and the captain, as something truly enormous was cleaving its way through the waves, causing even the viper and the scorcher to sway in the churning of the water. It looked like a small island was making its way straight towards the beach at a phenomenal speed. Then four huge shapes emerged from its sides. As the entire thing came closer, those shapes were revealed to be gigantic pinchers, like those of a crab but these were the size of fisher boats. In the reddish light of the setting sun, Ludlov could just make out something small and bright on top of the enormous thing, like a golden shimmer. Gustav dropped the books and trinkets he had been holding when the vast form of Krankor emerged out of the sea. The single great eye set in its mighty five-horned head surveyed the battlefield as water streamed down from his huge body on all sides. Riding on his back, standing tall and fair as she held on to the horns, was Chapin.
tears welled up in Ludlow's eyes as he saw the protector of Garadoso crawling over the beach, sending pirates and venom aliens alike running in terror. A deep and powerful sound emerged from the mysterious being, more a great call or challenge than a roar. Cannons were being fired as the men aboard the ships probably feared that yet another evil monster had come to crush their army. All of the shots missed and the firing stopped when it became clear that Krankor was making his way straight to the Rotocha, identifying it as the greatest threat. Ignoring all danger, Rudloff bolted across the battlefield. He could only hope that the cannon fire would not return, and he had to dodge many fleeing pirates and soldiers, being the only man who was headed towards Krankor rather than away from him. When he arrived in the middle of the beach, it was almost deserted. The last remaining combatants had either moved to the cave or were fighting for the rowboats. In front of him were two gargantuan monsters about to clash in mortal combat, surrounded by heaps of dead men, blood, guts and sand. Chapelle stood ready astride Crankhorn, her long hair flowing over her shoulders, almost aglow in the late sunlight. Ludlow drew the miniature crossbow, opened the pouch and carefully loaded the weapon with a poisonous dart. He knew he would have to aim just right to inflict any damage at all. The Rotocha leaped up, its enormous talons soaked in blood and gore, but Krankwa grasped the behemoth's arm with one of his great pinchers, clamping down, piercing through its fur. The furious beast grasped its opponent's carapace with its other claw, snapping its jaws, aiming for the soft flesh of Krankwa's head. The deformed teeth of the Rotocha bit into one of the tentacles beneath Krankwa's face, tearing at it and drawing dark blue blood. The ancient being's moan of pain was like the melancholy call of a horn resounding in the gathering dark. But the guardian of Garadoso did not back down and continued to assail the Rotocha with his pinches. Chapelle barely managed to hold on to the webbed horns on Krankwa's head with one hand. With the other, she threw daggers at the enemy creature, one after another. One pierced the beast's already scarred snout, remaining almost unnoticed. Another was deflected by its huge incisors and came spinning down. A third throw landed inside the Rotocha's mouth, piercing its worm-like tongue. The thing shrieked and recoiled as a thick compound of blood and drool dribbled out of its maw. Krankor seized the momentum and clasped the monster's neck with his pincher, but this only enraged the Rotocha so much that it threw its full weight against Krankor, digging its claws into his head, tearing the webbing between his horns. Close enough, Ludlow followed the shaky movement of the Rotocha around in an attempt to aim at its eye. But then the titanic struggle between the two creatures caused Chapelle to lose her grip and topple down onto the beach, just like the pirate lord had lost his steed earlier in the battle. The leviathans moved to and fro across the sand, locked in a fierce and intimate battle of tooth and claw. Ludlow dropped the little crossbow and ignored the beasts, moving straight towards Chapelle, who was crawling upright when she saw him. Her eyes lit up and she sprinted towards him. When they met, she grasped him by the back of his hair, pulled him down and kissed his lips. Utterly bewildered, Ludlow almost lost his balance. When she let go of him, they dashed out of the way together as Krankwa came crashing down onto his back. The Rotocha had overpowered him. 
Crankwar's legs dangled helplessly in the air as the monster crawled on top of him and began to tear into the softer flesh of Crankwar's underside with its long, curved talons. Still, Crankwar would not give up. Bending the joints of his pincher arms backwards, the mighty guardian used those limbs to lift himself up with a colossal effort. The Rotocha was too strong, however, and kept pushing Crankwar down. Chappelle darted off towards the fighting giants. Ludlow knew better than to try and stop her, but he feared she was headed for her doom once more. Then, he saw her pick up one of her daggers from the sand and aim it at the Rotocha. The creature ignored her, too involved in its fight with Crankwar to notice her. That gave Chappelle the opportunity to carefully consider her throw. Ludlow picked up his crossbow again as well, trying to aim for the Rotocha's eye, the way he had done with Tubalba once. He halted when suddenly, Crankwar lifted one of his pinchers and with remarkable speed and precision, the guardian of Garadoso clasped the Rotocha by the throat, pushing its head to the side. The beast opened its maw as wide as a snake swallowing its prey to let out a terrible screech. It reminded Ludlow of their first encounter with Tubalba. This gave Chappelle the opportunity to throw her last dagger straight into its mouth. The blade stuck in the back of its throat, causing the creature to gurgle and hack. Crankwar loosened his grip momentarily, and the Rotocha stumbled backwards, clawing at its own mouth, frantically trying to reach for the dagger. Crankwar seized this chance to lift himself up, shift his weight, and land with a boom on his legs again. Then he used his two back pinchers to lift himself higher up, and with tremendous speed and power, he grasped the Rotocha once more by the throat with one front pincher, the other clasping down on its ape-like arm, keeping the monster locked in a tight grip. Then the pincher around the Rotocha's throat began to sink deeper and deeper into its flesh, until blood began to spurt out, and Crankwar finally tore open his foe's gullet with a fountain of crimson blood spraying in all directions. The hellish beast's head rolled back and hung as dead weight from its hunched shoulders while blood kept spurting out. Bellowing forth a deep and powerful call of victory, the guardian of Garadoso threw the ruin of his enemy down onto the beach, where the river of blood could be soaked up by the sand. The sun had sunk entirely beneath the horizon leaving only a soft blue-purple glow in the sky. As Ludlow and Chappelle hastened across the sand to the mouth of Skullcrest Cave, where it sounded like the last of the fighting was going on. Gustav came running out of a large group of men, who all stood facing the cave. Chappelle, is it really you? They laughed and embraced <laughs> each other. <laughs> You'll have to explain your miraculous return to us, Gustav said. But first, there is something you should see. Where is Tomgard? Ludlow wondered aloud as they made their way to the huddle of men, all friendly troops from Seven Peaks. Ah, he and Brunkelhoff were taken back to the Viper. They're safe with the priestess now. Safe? Are you sure? Chappelle asked. You don't have to fear the pirates anymore. In its madness, El Padre's beast destroyed half of their force as well as ours. Only pirates aren't as loyal. Most of them fled, giving us the advantage at last. Then, while the two beasties were facing off, El Padre and his last followers tried to sneak into the cave. 
Turmgard and Brökelhof defended it with a few men. Turmgard almost died, fighting while bleeding from half a dozen wounds. Fortunately, he was dragged away from the battle when Lord Adomir arrived. Lord Adomir was alive then. And so were his other friends, at least for now. Ludlov quietly thanked the goddess. Gustav led Ludlov and Chappelle through the gathering until they could see what was going on right before the cave entrance. Lord Adomir and El Padre were in the middle of an intense duel, the clash of their blades reverberating in the night sky. The pirates gave up. They refused to fight for El Padre any longer, Gustav explained. But that man is an Esclavian. Freebooter or no, he lives for his honor. And so he challenged Lord Adomir to a personal duel. And of course he accepted. Lord Adomir stood tall and proud as always. His swift and elegant motions with the blade seemed almost effortless. Meanwhile, the pirate lord was looking exhausted, his brow glistening with sweat, his chest heaving as he drew deep, ragged breaths. Nevertheless, the duel had clearly been going on for some time now, and he was still alive. Give it up, Padre, said Lord Adomir. Return to your ship and take the last of your men with you. I will grant you mercy. El Padre shook his head as he lifted his golden saber. A duel to the dead is a duel to the dead. For all the horror the pirate lord had unleashed, in this moment, Rudloff couldn't help but respect the man. Adomir shrugged, then sighed as he casually disarmed his opponent, sending his golden blade flying. El Padre stood facing the witch hunter lord with cool defiance, closing his eyes as he accepted his fate. Then Adomir took his shoulder almost as if he were a friend, about to whisper a word of wisdom into his ear. Then he thrust his blade between the man's ribs, right into his heart. His rapier glistened with fresh blood as he slid it out, and El Padre's dead body fell face down onto the beach of Skullcrest Cave. It was quiet. No one cheered or applauded. The battle is over, Lord Adomir declared. The Pirate The stars and the moon shone down on a quiet sea, where two great ships lay side by side. Ludlov was sitting near the cave, overlooking the battlefield. Here and there, the survivors wandered between the bodies of the fallen, some looking for lost friends, others already beginning to carry the dead to a great pyre. Further on, he saw Chapelle, standing next to Crankor. His great eye was fixed on her, and although Ludlov couldn't hear anything or see a mouth moving beneath those tentacles, he believed they were having a conversation. He had been trying to puzzle together what had happened. When Chapelle had left the Teresia near Garadoso, she must have been rescued by the island's mythical guardian. That in itself was astonishing. Most likely, the great being had never before ventured so far from its shores. It showed that things really had changed in the Southern Sea 
with the destruction of Kumaron's crown. Lord Adomir walked up to him. He remained standing and joined Ludlov in gazing at the Goldorian woman and the enormous creature. It was Chapelle who warned you about the pirates, wasn't it? Ludlov asked. Indeed, Ludlov. She wrote to us by pigeon from Arnosa. We came as soon as the message arrived. The master, as well as the witch hunters, knew before you set out how to contact us in case something went terribly wrong with your endeavor. We had the Viper ready for that eventuality. The Order prefers not to sail out in force unless it's absolutely necessary, but the threat of these pirates was serious enough. Cotignac was well known. He had been hunting for the treasure for years, albeit in a less ethical way than your party. Ludlov remained quiet. He presumed Lord Adomir had no idea of what had happened to von Baumeister and hoped to keep it that way. I do wonder what that creature is, though, Adomir admitted, which somehow, despite all the death that surrounded them and his enormous fatigue, made Ludlov smile. It's Krankor, he replied, the guardian of Garadoso. One day, you will have to tell us the whole tale, Ludlov. It seems like you have been on an adventure worth telling. Ludlov lowered his head and sighed. I have. I don't know if it was worth dying for, though. As he said those words, he suddenly saw the faces of Alvarado and Fedahel again in his mind, remembering when they had been sitting by a campfire in a farmyard at the beginning of their adventure. It felt like that was years ago, and yet the presence of his friends came to him in such a real and vivid way that grief clawed at his heart, opening wounds and reminding him of Maria. It was too much, and he bowed his head, fighting a sudden heat behind his eyes. Lord Adomir laid a hand on his shoulder, but didn't comfort him with words. Then at last, he let go and spoke. When you come home, you will be a witch hunter, Ludlov. With that promise, he left. Ludlov remained where he was, looking at the sea and the stars, wondering what his life would be like as a witch hunter. Then he saw that Chapelle was walking towards him. She sat down next to him. I'm sorry about that kiss, she said. I was just happy to see you were alive. Oh, I had already forgotten about that. Ludlov lied, which he hated, being both unaccustomed and opposed to it. Oh. All right then. For a moment, there was only the sound of the waves in the distance. Then, Ludlov looked at her, and when he saw her soft face and her blue eyes in the moonlight, he wondered what his life would be like as a husband and a father. What will you do now? 
he asked softly. I don't know, Chappelle admitted. But I cannot return to Seven Peaks. Van Baumeister was at fault. We can all testify to that. I know. That's not it, Ludlow. It's just... That life is no longer for me. She returned his gaze, and he saw a struggle in her eyes. The treasure has been found, she said. But I still have an oath to fulfill. Ludlow nodded in understanding. Let me join you when you return to the Baudouac. Chappelle smiled. One day, when you are a master, come find me. I will, Chappelle. Call me Marie. Ludlow knew what that meant. He looked at her in silence, gently caressing her cheek where it had been mutilated by art. He knew that, unlike the thinner scar on the other side of her face, Ard's heart was one she would have to carry with her forever. He banished that thought, then closed his eyes and kissed her forehead. I pray the goddess you will find joy in your life, and not just revenge, Marie. I pray the same for you, Ludlow. He sighed, fighting the urge to reveal his own first name to her. Will you travel with us on the Viper? Or... Ludlow looked at Crankwall, lying perfectly still on the beach. To an ignorant passerby, he could have passed for some oddly shaped rocky hill. Riding Crankor wasn't the most comfortable way to travel, Chappelle admitted. But he and I have come to understand each other quite well. I think we may stay together for a little while longer. I understand that, Ludlow said. Then he suddenly realized he still had the figurine. He took it and offered it to her. I believe this is yours. Chappelle smiled. You kept it with you? All this time? Not only that. It saved my life. Her smile faded, and as she looked into his eyes, he could tell she was coming to a realization. I think it belongs with you then. She took his hand and closed his fingers around the bronze likeness of the maiden. Somehow, that gesture hurt more than any wound he had sustained on this quest. And yet, his heart was full of gratitude. He closed his eyes and gave her a solemn nod of thanks as he returned the figurine to his pocket. In the distance, he saw that rowboats were being offered to bring people back on board the Vermilion Viper. I think I will go. Chappelle smiled at him, but there was pain hiding behind it. Return home safely, Ludlow of Seven Peaks. It was an honor to travel with you. He inclined his head.
with you, Marie. Then he turned and left, a strange tangle of emotions warring within him as he crossed the beach and entered one of the boats. He was exhausted from the journey and the battle, excited to be ordained as a witch hunter, relieved to have survived, sorrowful for the passing of his friends, and deeply conflicted about the woman he had just left behind. When he was brought aboard the Viper and assigned a cabin where he could rest, Ludlow decided he was happy that Chapelle, Marie, was alive and he would pray for her continued well-being. There was no hammock in this cabin, but there was a cot with fresh sheets, and it felt like heaven when at last he allowed himself to lie down on his back and rest, still fully dressed and armed. He closed his eyes, listened to the soft creaking of the ship's timber, and fell asleep. Perhaps all the horrors of the past adventure had made him anxious, but Ludlow's sleep was shallow, and he awoke in the middle of the night when he heard footsteps above him. He remained where he was, eyes open, until he could no longer bear the restlessness and decided to go and catch a breath of fresh air. Having grown more vigilant after all the setbacks they'd had on their treasure hunt, he decided to hide his dagger in his sleeve and readied a poisonous dart in his mini crossbow, which he really liked. In fact, he was already beginning to become quite attached to it after such a short time. If only Gustav had thought of it sooner after Ludlow had lost his pistol. Perhaps the Flatlander had just felt a tiny bit guilty for dropping his original weapon. Only that could explain why he had allowed him to keep it. When he arrived on deck, the stars were still out and the salty night air was still and clear. He breathed it in deep as he ambled along the deck of the Vermilion Viper, thinking back on all that had happened to him since leaving Seven Peaks. Then his thoughts were distracted by the sight of two silhouettes, male and female, standing at the railing. Considering how close they were together, Ludlow's thoughts went back to Pete and Naila, but it couldn't be them. By the shape of her flowing robes, he realized the woman had to be Blessed Zeilenheim. She must have come to look at the sea. You couldn't sleep either, Blessed? Ludlow asked as he approached her, but she only responded with a stifled gasp of pain. One step closer and she will sleep forever, said the male voice in a flatlandish accent. Odd. So this is where you've been hiding this whole time. Only now did Ludlow see that he was holding her head and keeping a knife at her throat. I was never gone, you seven-beak scum. As soon as your countrymen all boarded the Scorcher, I knew no one would be looking for a pirate on the Viper. It's only logical. This ship is full of your enemies, Ad. What do you hope to accomplish? It's simple enough, really. 
I'll be taking this priestess with me, knowing how touchy you religious types get about that, and then I'll take her to Torgusan. I heard they're looking for a new pirate lord there. Do you think they'll accept you as their leader, just because you brought them a woman? Not a woman, you idiot. A treasure. The greatest ever. Ludlov remained quiet. I know you'll want her back, and I have no use for her, so it will be a fair transaction. You folk will bring me the treasure to Torgusan, and I'll return her to you alive. What do you say? I say no, Ludlov said without flinching. I've seen the way you handle women and that treasure. You will never touch it again. What will you do now? Kill her? She's your only bargaining chip. Zelenheim looked like she was trying to say something but couldn't. Ad tightened his grip around her. The treasure is all I have left to live for. If you refuse, I'll kill her right before you have the chance to take your revenge. Is that so? Rudolf said, as calmly as he could, stalling for time. I thought you didn't care for money. Ta! You're right. I care about having men who follow me. Money in itself is boring, just like this conversation. I have a boat ready right behind this railing. Raise up your arms and keep them in the air, and I'll take this wench with me. It's either that, or the priestess gets to meet her goddess. Decide now. Ludlov saw both terror and determination in Blessed Zelenheim's eyes. He knew she was prepared to die. The air was still, the sea was calm, and nothing moved as Ludlov's gaze pierced the gloom. He would take the risk. With lightning speed, he raised the miniature crossbow and shot it from his hip, right next to Zelenheim's throat into Ard's hand. He dropped the knife and hunched over in pain. The priestess rushed out of the way towards Ludlov, but to his surprise, Ard managed to grab her before she could reach him. She pulled herself free and skidded back towards the railing of the ship, grasping it firmly as she watched her assailant. Ludlov waited in vain for Ard to collapse, considering whether to use another one of those darts. Either Gustav had exaggerated the properties of the poison, or Ard was even tougher than he had proven to be so far. The Flatlander picked up his knife with his other hand and started moving again. Although his walk was slowly turning into a shamble, and his limbs started shaking, he kept making his way towards Blessed Zelenheim, determined to kill her. He had probably realized it was the last thing left for him to do. The Blessed had moved, still holding the railing tight with fearful eyes. She would have to pass the brutish Flatlander if she was to run back to her quarters. Ard grasped her arm and pulled her near, ready to slash at her. But Ludlov, who had easily caught up with the stumbling pirate, grabbed the man's poisoned arm, which now felt limp like the dead snake they had pulled from Alvarado and Garadoso. As he did so, he was reminded of being captured by this villain, his lies and his vicious behavior towards them all. As the sight of Chapelle's scar came to Ludlov's mind, he wanted to make this pirate suffer even more. 
Ard opened his mouth to speak, likely to scoff at Rudolf and demoralize him. But when he tried to say something, only a gurgle followed, and foam formed on his lips. With his last efforts, he pierced the blade forward to Ludlov's chest, who wheeled aside to avoid it. Feeling repulsed at the idea of yet another fight, he decided to end this, and with swift stealth, he slid his dagger out of its sleeve and thrust the blade straight into Ard's throat, then twisted it and pulled it back. Gurgling, Ard stumbled back towards the rails of the ship, shaking uncontrollably. Eventually, he dropped his knife and leaned back. As blood poured over Ard's chin and neck, Ludlov noticed the silver chain that held Gustav's pouch. At the last moment, and almost too quick for anyone to notice, right before Ard fell backwards into the ocean, Ludlov used the twist and pull he had learned from Lady Hoskin to snap the chain and snatch the pouch from the pirate as he dropped down from the deck of the Viper and landed with a splash in the wave below, right next to his boat. Just as quickly, he put the pouch with the broken chain in his pocket, right next to the figurine of the maiden. He felt a strong and inexplicable instinct to keep it there, out of sight. Lady Hoskiv would have been proud, he thought, as he leaned over the railing and beheld Ard's corpse for the last time as it slowly began to sink into the black water. In the end, Ludlov could only feel pity for him. Then he turned and saw Blessed Zelenheim looking at him with wide eyes. Thank you, Ludlov, she whispered. Then he noticed that someone else was standing behind her now. It was an imposing figure in a tall hat. Lord Adomir, Ludlov said, causing the priestess to turn and meet the witch hunter lord as well. I saw what you did there, Ludlov, Adomir said. Ludlov felt sweat break out all over his body. It is fortunate that I was here to witness it, Adomir continued as he walked past the priestess to meet Ludlov up close. The witch hunter lord looked at him with an unreadable expression. That was a brave deed. You have more than earned the hat. I will be keeping a close eye on your career. Relief washed over Ludlov as he bowed his head in thanks. I merely did what I had to, Lord Adomir. You took a well-calculated risk. In the heat of the moment, you refused to compromise and saved both Blessed Zelenheim and the treasure. That is the mark of a true witch hunter. Blessed Zelenheim nodded. Lord Adomir is right, Ludlov. You are to be praised for all that you have done. Ludlov didn't enjoy this sort of attention at all. Thank you both, he said. But the success of our mission was due to every member of our party, including you, Blessed. Without any of us, we would not have survived. And we must also honor and thank Captain Brokelhoff, who did not act out of duty, but friendship. That is true, and he will be well rewarded, Adomir granted. 
Even the shopkeeper seems to have had some worth in this whole endeavour. His statuette did turn out to be the key after all, didn't it? He offered much more than the key to the treasure, Lord Edomir, Rudolf said. In fact, I think he has more than earned the reward that was promised to him. He has, Blessed Zelenheim said sadly. But I'm afraid he will never have it. I fear the trinket is lost beneath the waves now. I believe Ard had it. We are close to shore and could still retrieve it, perhaps, Lord Adomir admitted. But it would cost us time and resources, and I had my misgivings about entrusting that flatlander with a magic item from the beginning. You would not even try, Ludlove said. It was his only condition to join this quest, and he has been of great help. Wouldn't we be breaking a promise if we don't make an effort to retrieve it for him? Adomir smiled like a proud father, but not without a hint of condescension in his expression. He laid his hand on Ludlove's shoulder. You are a good man, Ludlove, but you still have much to learn about the world. As witch hunters, we have a responsibility. It was our duty to find the treasure, and for that we needed Gustav. It is also our duty to keep dangerous magic out of the hands of foolish men. Sometimes it's just not possible to keep a promise. I knew this from the start. Now go and have some rest. We leave in the morning. With a final nod, Lord Adomir left the deck and returned to his cabin. Ludlov remained where he was and exchanged a glance with Blessed Zelenheim. She said nothing, but her eyes told him she agreed with him. The Return It was well past sunrise when Ludlov awoke. The deck of the Vermilion Viper was buzzing with activity as the treasure was being brought on board. The surface was littered with goblets, urns, boxes and baskets full of gold coins and gems. Even with the hole stuffed full of treasure, Ludlov knew the Viper alone couldn't possibly carry it all. Fortunately, they had a second ship available to them, which had a lot of room to spare now that its original crew was gone. Ludlov found Gustav near the mainmast of the Viper, his familiar oversized luggage on his back once more. In one hand, he was holding a large burlap sack that looked almost as heavy. Did you spend the whole night repairing your backpack? Ludlov asked as he approached. What's wrong with that? The Flatlander said. It's my lucky pack. Or maybe I should call it my lucky luggage. That has a nice ring to it. There is nothing wrong with it at all, Gustav. The shopkeeper opened up the bag and showed it to Ludlov. Look what they let me keep, Ludlov. To Ludlov, it seemed like the order had granted Gustav all the items that no one else wanted. There were ivory figurines in there, strange wooden medallions, a green glass skull, an obsidian sword that looked like something from Garadoso, and even the preserved talon of some monstrous bird. These curiosities will do wonders for my shop, Gustav explained. 
I'm sure there is a fascinating history behind each of them. And if not, I'll make one up. Rudlov smiled at the man's enthusiasm, but he couldn't help but feel sorry for him. Aren't you a bit disappointed that you don't have the one thing you wanted most? Gustav shrugged. I am. I mean, I thought it would end my loneliness once and for all, but blast it all, I'm alive. And I've got a sack full of treasure and an amazing story to tell. Complaining doesn't seem right to me. Rudlov looked around and saw Adomir nearby, talking to Captain Brokohov. His mentor threw a quick glance in his direction and then returned to his conversation. If you're happy, so am I, Gustav, Rudlov said. Oh, and something else, the Flatlander went on. I heard what you did last night. He gave Rudlov a playful punch in the shoulder and laughed. <laughs> I wish I could have seen that snake's face when the dart hit. Good riddance. Art was a disgrace to my people. In a sense, Ludlov was relieved Gustav could take it that way. But he remembered how he had once befriended Ard, and suspected the man was hiding how he really felt. By the way, mending my pack wasn't the only thing I did last night. Ludlov raised an eyebrow, wondering what sort of bizarre story would follow next. I took a trip back to Boneyard Bay, and left a note with that nice fisherman who took us in. I told him there are five golden spikes on top of that cliff for him to pick up. Might finally help him buy those new nets he was talking about. Ludlov's heart ached. I pray that one day the goddess will give you what you deserve, Gustav. All the golden jewels in the world, if you ask me. You're the only man I know who truly loves treasures for the sake of the adventure and the mystery surrounding them rather than the riches. It was evening again, when the Viper and the Scorcher were at last both fully loaded and ready to lift anchor. The sky was cloudy now, and there was a light drizzle in the air when they left. By order of Detlef Zieger, Ludlov found himself on the deck of the Scorcher, with Blessed Zelenheim and Captain Brokelhoff for company. The Scorcher would be the first to return to Lioncrest. Gustav and Turmgard, who were still recovering from his wounds, remained on the Viper and would set sail shortly after. The uncharacteristically gloomy weather for this part of the world reminded Ludlov of Seven Peaks and he suddenly felt a deep desire to return home. Ludlov was not sure why Adomir had separated them, but he appreciated the fact that the Witch Hunter Lord had placed him on the first ship back. The ship couldn't sail fast enough as far as he was concerned. The journey home was quiet. Even though they had found the treasure and it had far exceeded all expectations, the mood on board the Scorcher was contemplative and mournful, rather than victorious. Captain Brokelhoff spoke little, spending most of his time wandering the deck and staring out over the sea. Blessed Zelenheim, on the other hand, rarely ventured out of her cabin, 
lost in prayer and meditation. This left Ludlove somewhat forlorn, with far too much time on his hands. He decided to use that time to practice his drawing skills, reproducing as much of his adventure as he could from memory. He made portraits of most of his companions, and at least three of Chapelle. He couldn't quite commit to drawing Federhel or Alvarado, though. Something held him back from doing so, and he didn't quite understand it himself. Grief was strange, he knew. Besides people, he drew many of the things he had seen. The Strandkrona flower, the rock formation known as the Crown of Kumaron, as well as the actual crown. The temple on Garadoso, the Spixolettles, the statues of the Yiskar, Krankuo, and even the Rotochayania. The weather became colder as they traveled north. They passed by Loinvu without disembarking, sailing straight for Brughaven instead. It was nearly winter when they saw the city, the trees holding on to the last of their discolored leaves. The scorcher was first to arrive. Ludlov was happy to disembark the ship, sensing a freedom when he could walk around again on solid ground. The three companions rented a room in a harbour-side inn and spent a day or two waiting for the Vermilion Viper in order to meet their friends. Ludlov was sitting on a bench, watching the seagulls float through the overcast sky and occasionally dive into the grey waves when the Viper arrived at last, still looking magnificent even in the dull northern daylight. When their friends emerged, Ludlov was happy to see that Turmgard had fully recovered and looked like he was ready to fight another army of pirates. Gustav was quieter than usual when they went for a drink in a local tavern. Ludlov guessed the Flatlander had finally come to realize what he had lost. While they were recovering in the inn from the tiring journey, Adomir gathered them all together in the common room and explained the plans for the remainder of the journey. The members of the Order would have to take the quicker road, travelling back along the same route they had taken on the way to Boneyard Bay, so that they could arrive early in the headquarters, since Lady Hoskiv wanted Adomir to be back in Seven Peaks as soon as possible. The others would travel with a caravan transporting the treasure. Theirs would be a longer road, passing by Carleon, where they would be aided by an escort of knights. Involving them had been a brilliant idea, Ludlow thought. There were no more reliable guards in the world than the Knights of Carleon. The caravan's path would follow the river Midrim and then the Evenen. Gustav and Blessed Zelenheim would be joining the caravan under the personal protection of Detlef Ziegia. Captain Brokelhoff would remain in Bruchhaven for the time being. He had been offered a high-ranking position in Seven Peaks as Lord of the Cartographer's Guild, but refused it. I will never be a city man, he had said. I have sea salt in my veins. The sea calls to me again, and I will answer. 
Nevertheless, the captain was richly rewarded in gold for all he had done. It was more than enough to buy a new ship, just like the Theresia. Brokelhoff was the first to leave the Companions. Shortly after, the members of the Order shared a subdued farewell with the priestess and the shopkeeper. And then, they left the city of Brughaven on horseback. The remainder of the return journey felt rather hollow to Rudlov. Lord Adomir and Turmgard were both taciturn and reserved, leaving Ludlov in a similar mood. Part of him wished he could have seen Carleon, and perhaps even visited the Bodouag forest. But in truth he was relieved to take the quicker, more familiar road. It all went by in a haze, as if Ludlov wasn't really present for most of it. He saw the same familiar locations again, the same towns, the same people. The villagers of Engerbrücke inquired where the other treasure hunters were, but all Ludlov could say was, they took another road. One night, when they were sitting around the campfire in the western wilds, Adomir finally began to ask some questions about their quest. Tomgard and Ludlov both answered simply and truthfully. When the topic of von Baumeister's death came up, Tomgard said, He was not the man we thought he was, Lord. He became mad. Ultimately, that led to his demise. Adomir locked him in an inscrutable gaze for a long time before he spoke. You are loyal, Turmgard. That is commendable. However, when you speak to me in the future, I expect you to tell me the whole truth. I know of Chapelle's part in von Baumeister's death. She told me herself after the battle. I did not condemn her. She did what was necessary at the time. Those words came as a relief to Ludlow, who had quietly been harboring some frustration with Adomir after the way he had treated his arrangement with Gustav. He was a good man, Ludlow thought, both wise and powerful. As if he had heard Ludlow's thoughts, Adomir suddenly turned his gaze towards him. I have another question to ask you, Ludlov, he said. Ludlov looked at him expectantly. Miss Chapelle, as I should now refer to her, returned her witch hunter hat to us and suggested that you might wear it as soon as you are ordained. Of course, it would have to be retailored and repaired after the damage it has suffered. It would be an honor, Ludlov interrupted him. Good. Adomir concluded their conversation. Despite the onset of winter, Ludlov's mood brightened up during the last stretch of their journey. Perhaps it was the knowledge that he would soon be home again, or perhaps he was just relieved to know that Chapelle would never be judged by the Order. But his heart soared when at last the snow-covered majesty of the great city of Seven Peaks became visible in the distance. A red sun was setting behind the cathedral when they arrived in the witch hunter headquarters.
Lady Hoskiv welcomed them and congratulated them on their success. She also told them that she had received word from the knights that the treasure was safely on its way. When Ludlow mentioned Queen Sintrasha's wishes, Lady Hoskiv laid a reassuring hand on his shoulder. Fear not, Ludlow, she said. Blessed Seelenheim has already written to me. I will ensure that the Queen's wishes will be honored. She granted both Ludlow and Turmgard a few weeks' furlough to rest and recover. Grateful for the opportunity, Ludlow retreated to his home. When he entered his bedroom, he threw his coat over a chair, then sat down on his bed and removed his boots. It was cold here, and he ought to light a fire. But he was too tired. He laid down on his silk sheets. The scent of the lacquered wood of the bedposts suddenly reminded him of Maria, and he closed his eyes. I'm home, darling, he whispered. Then he felt the pouch in his pocket and took it out. Inside was a golden ring, set with a single ruby. Gustav's trinket. He opened the drawer of his nightstand and put it in there. Then, with great effort, he got up to light that fire, undress and wash himself, and finally go to sleep. The Ordination The winter of 1771 proved to be an uncommonly harsh one. It snowed nearly every day, and the sun was rarely seen. Nevertheless, spirits in Seven Peaks were higher than they had been in many years. Vast wealth had come to the city, and it would surely bring good fortune. Already, trade with both Parslavena and the Untronian Empire was thriving. Statues were being erected, new buildings were planned, and old ones were being renovated. The future held great things for Seven Peaks. It was a rare, clear day when Lord Adomir held his memorial ceremony for those who had fallen in the quest for the treasure of Boneyard Bay. Great icicles hung from the eaves of the roofs, glistening in the sunlight as citizens gathered on the Grand Market. Ludlow was not among them. He had chosen to remain home, rather than hear the names of Alvarado and Federhel proclaimed from a list of the dead. He was sitting alone on his bed in his father's house, a gentle fire crackling in the hearth. Three items were spread out on his bed. Federhel's pistol, Alvarado's pouch of herbs, and Chappelle's bronze figurine of the maiden. He looked at them, allowing the memories to stream through his mind, watching them as he would watch the ships on the River Ivenon as they passed. He was planning to have a glass cabinet made, 
where he would put each of these three items on display. For now, he kept them all in his nightstand. When he touched the pouch, he imagined Alvarado asking him why he would waste his excellent herbs by locking them away. Hadn't the Esclavian told him to have a feast in his honor instead? Perhaps one day, amigo, Ludlow thought. He sighed. The world was such a strange place. He had joined the Witch Hunter Order to escape the memories of Maria's death. He had hoped to find sanctuary from the pain of his loss in a life dedicated to the war against supernatural evil. Now, he had come to realize that there was no such escape. Even within the Order, he had come to love and lose all over again. Perhaps only revenge on the Black Sickle would mend his heart. He still furiously longed for that revenge. But he also knew that it would not bring Maria or any of his friends back from the dead. So be it, he thought. Then he would live with the pain. As he opened his drawer to return the items, he saw the black pouch and came to another realization. He had made at least one friend who was still alive and present. The ceremony had just ended when Ludlow left his home and made his way through the streets of Seven Peaks to the Traveler's District. There, hidden in a dark alley between the warehouses, hung a colorful shop sign. Gustav Finsterdunkel's wondrous emporium of occult devices and sundry artifacts of the bizarre. Ludlow shook his head and smiled. Only one man would ever give his shop a name like that. When he entered, he was pleased to see the Flatlander behind the counter. He was dusting off a crystal ball. There were boxes and chests everywhere. Loose pages with notes and sketches littered the ground, and books lay piled up in dangerously tall stacks. The shop was full of stuffed animals mounted on the walls, suspicious amulets dangling from the ceiling, and colorful potions candles and statuettes on the shelves. Perhaps Gustav was in the middle of a reorganization, but Ludlow suspected this was what the Emporium always looked like. Ludlow, the Flatlander said with a smile. I thought you'd be at the ceremony. No, I, I didn't want to go. And I had a hunch you wouldn't either. Gustav shrugged. I have a business to run. What if a customer came by? Looking around, Ludlow could hardly imagine anyone actually stopping by to purchase anything, but he nodded in understanding nonetheless. Then he produced the silk pouch. I know I'm not supposed to give this to you, but my sense of justice compels me. Gustav's eyes widened and his mouth fell open in a soundless gasp. Then he carefully accepted the pouch holding it in his cupped hand as if it were a wounded little mouse. Is this what I think it is? I took a peek inside, Ludlow admitted. A golden ring with a ruby set in it. 
that's it, Gustav said with a smile. Then he tucked the pouch away in his pocket and gave Ludlov a long, appraising look. Thank you, Ludlov, he said seriously. You are a man of rare integrity, perhaps the only trustworthy man in Seven Peaks. Ludlov smiled. You've earned it, Gustav, was all he could say. Gustav crossed his arms and leaned against the wall. Now tell me, when will you be ordained as a witch hunter? Next week on praising day, actually. I'm afraid the ceremony is exclusive to members of the order, but I could stop by the shop the following morning before you open. Perhaps we could go and have a drink in a tavern, if you like. In the morning, after your party? I'd like to see that, Ludlov. Witch hunters don't have parties, Gustav. In that case, I'll see you next week, friend. Ludlov smiled, turned, and left the Emporium. As he stepped into the snowy street, he was hit by a realization. Even though he had lost several friends on this journey, he still had more now than before he had left. The week passed slowly, and with each day Ludlov's excitement grew. Then at last, praising day actually came. The sky was overcast and everything was still covered by a thick carpet of snow. But the air felt crisp and inviting when Ludlov emerged from his front door. The ordination was preceded by a long praising day service in the cathedral, held by Cardinal Falkenberg himself, which was free for all to attend. Afterwards, the memorial grounds of Santa Guandala were closed off and only members of the witch hunter order were allowed entry, including initiates, servants of the headquarters and militia. Blessed Zelenheim was also present, having been introduced as an honorary member of the order. The ruins of the semicircle, overgrown with vines and moss over the centuries, and now covered in a thick layer of snow, provided an auditorium in the open air. In the middle of the area stood an enormous tree, its great bare branches spread out protectively over the audience of the ceremony. Lady Hoskiv stood under the tree on a daze, in front of the well that contained the sacred water of the source of Santa Guandala. There, she held an opening speech in which she lamented the news that only one initiate would be receiving the hat that day. But she also emphasized that Ludlov had been a fine student and would make a great witch hunter. She praised Alvarado and Fedahel for their sacrifice and granted both of them the post-mortem title of Champion of the Order. Then Ludlov was brought forward, wearing only his boots, breeches and laced shirt, despite the cold and the snow. He was ceremonially clad by two servants, first with his leather jerkin, then his long coat, and finally his weapons belt, with his rapier and Federhel's pistol, which had permanently replaced his own. Next, Ludlov was made to kneel by the well that had been constructed under the maiden tree. There he was allowed to drink from a goblet of sacred water, 
taken directly from the well. Still on his knees in the snow, Ludlow then had to repeat a long oath as Lady Hoskiv proclaimed it from a scroll. After his solemn dedication to the protection of Seven Peaks, the pursuit of truth, and the resistance against Lucas and all other demons, Ludlow stood up. Then Blessed Zelenheim emerged from the audience, bearing a silk cushion on top of which rested a tall, broad-brimmed buckled hat, the leather greased with sacred oil. Chappelle's hat, Ludlow remembered. In a sense, he was to become her successor now. Then Ludlow of Seven Peaks received a hat and be a witch hunter of the Order of Sancta Gondala, Lady Hoskiv declared. Ludlow and the priestess shared a look and both smiled. He saw a motherly pride in her eyes. He slowly took the hat from the cushion and put it on his head. Hail, Ludlow, witch hunter of Seven Peaks! cried Detlef Ziegler from the audience, and a great cheer erupted from all who were gathered there. After the ordination, Ludlow was allowed to spend some time alone. Later that afternoon, he found himself being drawn to the cathedral, where he wandered through the hallways, admiring the stained glass windows. The frail light beams of the winter sun threw colorful patterns on the stone floor. As he walked through them, he saw his own shadow there. The cloak, the hat. He was a true witch hunter now. He was near a corner and about to turn when he heard voices. How unfortunate that only Novacula can open the chest, Adomir said. It must be full of information on this ancient necromancer and his dark arts. It could tell us so much. What would we do with such knowledge, Adamir? Lady Hoskiv replied. Novacula is long gone. We have other enemies now. The Grand General and the Witch Hunter Lord turned the corner, coming face to face with Ludlow. Ludlow, Lord Adamir said in greeting. I hadn't expected to find you here. Usually a newly ordained witch hunter spends his furlough in the tavern. Lady Hoskiv smiled. I think Ludlow is a different sort of man. I believe the Order can use more witch hunters whose hearts are with the goddess first and foremost. Ludlow bowed his head in deference. In all honesty, I was merely enjoying a moment of peace and admiring the artwork, my lady. Then you must have overheard something of our conversation. How much did you pick up? I only heard you were discussing what to do with the black chest. I thought as much, Adomir said. Of course we will hide the chest in the catacombs, but I think it should be studied as well, in the same way we study other dark magic. Lady Hoskiv believes otherwise. Tell me, Ludlow. What would be your advice, having suffered through the journey to obtain both chests? Rudlov raised his eyebrows. Mine? 
I am not in any position to decide on such matters. Indeed you are not, Lady Hoskove said. But we would like to hear your opinion nonetheless. Rudloff thought for a bit, feeling a bit uncomfortable as his two superiors anticipated his response. The chest can only be opened by Novacula himself. There are no markings on it. I don't think there is much to study. Let it rest in the darkness where it belongs. Did not the poet Vigilus write that at the center of every man's eye is a black circle? There is darkness in the midst of our gaze that expands when we look into darkness. Even when we gaze into the light, the darkness in our eyes will recede, but not disappear. I don't think we should put our souls to the test. Lord Adomir and Lady Hoskiv shared a look. There is something else, though, Ludlow said, taking advantage of the attention of both of his superiors. I believe it is confirmed that Queen Sintrasha is a saint now. I think the Order should petition the Cardinal for her canonization. He will take your suggestions very seriously, and it would do much for the salvation of the gypsies. Silence fell as the two witch hunters' superiors took a long, stern look at this freshly ordained member. I think your advice is worthy of consideration, Ludlow, Lady Hoskiv said. The Trinket The next morning, Ludlov made his way through the snowy streets of Seven Peaks once more to Gustav's wondrous emporium. He hadn't realized it the first time, but it struck him now how much the inside of the shop reminded him of the chamber with the dragon statue in the temple on Garadoso. A disorganized pile of strange and mysterious items of every kind, ranging from books and scrolls over jewelry, weapons, strange orbs and devices, and even some unidentifiable animal bones. He was immediately greeted by the pudgy shopkeeper who embraced him in a fierce hug. Ludlow of Seven Peaks, witch hunter. <laughs> Gustav beamed. He crossed his arms and took in the sight of his friend once more. The hat becomes you. Truly it does. Ludlow took a look at himself in a nearby mirror. He agreed. The hat made him look taller and more intimidating, as it was intended to. Thank you, Gustav. How have you been this past week? The shopkeeper shrugged. Oh, you know, the same as usual, I suppose. That surprised Ludlow quite a bit. Really? I thought you had just achieved your dream. What about your treasure, the magic item? Haven't you been able to use it? Oh, that... Well, I suppose it worked the way they had said it would. That it would end your loneliness? I seem to remember something like that, Ludlow said, trying to hide his growing curiosity. Gustav absent-mindedly stroked the skull of some giant monster as if it were a live pet. He stood with his back to Ludlow and shrugged again. Well, no... That's what I thought it meant. But it turned out I was wrong. You sound disappointed, Ludlow commented. 
but perhaps it is better this way. Magic is dangerous, very dangerous. Gustav turned around and showed Ludlov the golden ring with the smooth red stone set in it. I suppose you don't want it then? Ludlov raised a single eyebrow. There had to be more to this. Gustav wouldn't just give away his long-coveted treasure item. Why do you want to give it to me? Ludlov asked. You were a friend to me during this whole journey, even when your superiors discouraged it. I want to thank you. You can have my ring. Thank you very much, Gustav, but before I even touch that thing, I have to know, what does it do? Is its magic arcanic or something else? You know that well enough, Ludlov. It's from Queen Sintrasha herself, after her leaving Oskorta. So I think it's clean, if that's what you mean, Gustav said casually. As for what it does, well, apparently you can summon a bird with it who will be your companion for life. A bird? Ludlov repeated, as he gingerly accepted the ring and studied it in the ruddy light of the many candles and lanterns in the shop. Yes, Gustav said. When they said that, I thought they meant a woman, you know, like I've heard some of the sailors say, a bird, a woman. You might have noticed I don't really get along so well with actual birds. <sighs> I'm sorry to hear that, Gustav. It's all right. It's not the first time this has happened to me. I bought an enchanted marble once that would summon someone cute as a bug's ear, they said. But all I could get out of that marble after trying and trying was an actual bug's ear. So, it happens all the time. I'm fine. Ludlov didn't respond. Gustav sighed again and sat down on a nearby stool. <sighs> you know I can't stand birds, Ludlov. If you accept it, I would at least know it's in good hands, and some of the disappointment would go away. What kind of bird came when you used it? Ludlov asked. Gustav shrugged. I don't know, one with feathers. I don't know anything about those things because they give me a rash and make me sneeze. Ludlov thought he probably shouldn't be asking this, but he couldn't resist it. And how does one summon this bird? That's simple enough. You simply whisper its name to the stone. Do you mean the word engraved on the inside of the band? Gustav rose from his stool again. You know, if you want to try it out, you can, Ludlov. Just preferably not in my shop. I just got rid of my last rash. But you could try it on the street. I'll watch from the doorway. Ludlov thought about it for a moment. As a witch hunter, he ought to be wary about magic items, but when he looked at the gleaming ruby, he felt a sense of destiny, almost as if the thing was calling to him. Are you sure, Gustav? Ludlov looked around nervously. Sure, sure, go ahead, Gustav said. You're lucky. This is the most quiet time of the day. Hardly any customers at the moment. So go ahead, before the streets are crawling with people again. Ludlov couldn't remember the last time it was ever crowded in this street, but when Gustav offered him the pouch as well, he looked at the broken chain and remembered how this ring had almost ended up at the bottom of the sea. 
He touched the door handle to open the door and paused. He felt a bit nervous. Although he wasn't doing anything wrong by using a magic item as long as it was arcanic, he still wasn't sure if his superiors would approve of it. He didn't want to jeopardize his new title. Then his eye caught a familiar-looking object on one of the crooked shelves in the shop. It looked like an old statuette, which he wouldn't normally have noticed, since it was partially hidden behind a collection of other figurines. Nevertheless, what drew his gaze were its eyes, glistening in the gloom of the dusty shop. They were sapphires. Rudlov looked at Gustav. He had no idea how or when the Flatlander had smuggled the statuette of St. Trasha back home, but apparently he had changed his mind after they had left it in the cave. Gustav smiled sheepishly. I couldn't leave her there, Ludlov, in the end. I regretted it right away. So I had to go back for her. I've been keeping her tucked in my backpack, wrapped in an old ragged bag. I was afraid the Witch Hunter Order would eventually claim her. Ludlov understood, especially after Gustav's disappointment with the ring. Little Sintrasha was a worthy consolation prize. She's not for sale, Gustav said. I'm cleaning up in the back to give her a more honorable place to stay. He gestured towards a door in the back of his shop, where he presumably lived. Ludlov shook his head, smiling. He didn't doubt that Sintrasha's statuette was in good hands now. It would probably find its way onto Gustav's nightstand. The shopkeeper looked at him nervously, as if wearing the witch hunter hat would morally obligate Ludlov to take the statuette away from him. Then Ludlov joked, I think it's a great idea to have a holy woman watching over you, Gustav, especially when you're up to no good again. <laughs> Gustav just chuckled. <laughs> All right then, Ludlov said hesitantly. Let's try that gift of yours. You're welcome, witch hunter, Gustav returned with a crooked smile. Just promise me one thing, he said. If you do manage to summon a pretty lady, you will return it to me, yes? <laughs> I promise. Would you promise me something too? All right then, Gustav uttered reluctantly. If we ever meet and there is someone else with us, don't mention the ring. Or if you must, don't mention where it came from. Witch hunters have different opinions about these matters, no matter the origin of the magic. It would be best if no one else knew about this. Ludlow thought about the conversation he had shared with Lord Adomir about Gustav's trinket and quietly hoped the topic would never be raised again. That's not a problem. Gustav said. I'll just come up with some silly story about its origins. You know I'm good at that. Ludlov shook his head with a chuckle. <laughs> there is no need for lies and fabrications, Gustav. Just... Then he stopped himself. He realized he should just be grateful for the gift. Thank you, he said instead. Ludlov opened the front door of the shop and stepped into the deserted street, which was lined with sludge. Icicles were dripping, melting from the eaves of the rooftops. Hmm, it looks like the weather has turned, Gustav said, carefully sticking his head out of the door. Well, the new year is near, bringing springtime along with it. Ludlov ignored his friend's comments 
focusing on the strange ring as he held it in both hands. For the first time, he took a good look at the name engraved in the ring. Although he had never heard it before, it felt familiar, as if it were a friend's name. He memorized it. Then he gingerly slid his wedding band off his finger, placed it in the pouch and tucked it away. This was the first time he had taken it off since he had lost Maria. Perhaps it was time to find a good place to treasure it at home and grant it rest. When he replaced it with the magic ring, he sensed the power of Gustav's gift right away. It was as if the ruby subtly turned to a slightly different shade of red. Or was that his imagination? Well, Gustav said, what are you waiting for? Just say the name. Ludlov's heartbeat quickened, and he felt a strange sense of anticipation, as if he were about to do something very important. Perhaps he was. Then he closed his eyes, and whispered to the ruby, Falkrin. The cry of a falcon echoed in the distance. Listening to The Treasure of Boneyard Bay, a witch hunter tale. Written and performed by Dominique de Groot and Eileen Hoskins. Additional voices by Ronan de Groot and Liam de Groot. Peter van Riet. Music score by Ivan Dutch, Peter van Riet en Dane Lennartsen. Sound mixing and post-production by Domine de Groot.
special thanks to our loyal patrons who have supported us both financially and with words of kindness and encouragement. Many thanks to our creators, Amy and Dallas Austin and Matt Patain. Thank you to our saint, Peter Strandkrone. Our huge thanks to Joseph Stowell, Cameron Brantley, Liam Gabriel and Tony Ranico, our Grand Generals. We're grateful for our Witch Hunter Masters, Mix and Match, Yiji Dusht, Cody Haich, and Kadir Hussein. Thanks to our Witch Hunters, Osarion, Kat Mosiri, Arno Teva, Caitlin Bredenkamp, Ryan Stock, and Jalen Lewis. And last but not least, thank you to all of our Guardsmen and Captains of the Guard. You are all the fuel of this project. 